Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking a little about resistant weeds. That is weed resistance to Roundup, to ALS, to Atrazine, to 2,4-D, to Dicamba. There are a lot of different resistance issues out there. If you'd like to call into the show at any point, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Brian Hefty, or Darren Hefty. So to begin the show today, I will just tell you that over the last couple of weeks, uh, honestly, I'm exhausted because I have spent uh, the last couple of weeks, even the last month now, um, touring the United States, talking to farmers a little bit, but more than that, talking to some of the big crop protection companies and big seed companies just to try to get their outlook on next year their feelings on what's going to happen the rest of this summer. And this is something that I do every year. So as a farmer, it's super interesting to drive around the country, to drive around the continent, see what the crop looks like, get our estimations of, well, boy, we think it's going to be a good crop, meaning uh, not the best for our prices or like this year that, I mean, there are tens of millions of acres not planted Lots of acres look terrible, and so this year I'm thinking crop prices are going way up. But anyway, I like getting the insights from all these different companies. So here are just a few highlights that I can tell you. So one of the first companies I met with probably a month ago was Bayer, you know, and Bayer purchased Monsanto a while back. Well, one of the big things that they're doing is they've got their big bundle out there that they're promoting for next year. So that is their Bear Plus Rewards. And you can get some of the details of that now, uh, most likely from your crop protection retailer. But anyway, it's basically a, a huge farmer rebate program. So if you're buying more Bear products, you're getting more dollars back. Now, this it's not like this is new. Bear's done these types of things for years. I just appreciate this year. It it feels like it's a little bit simpler than some of the programs they've had in the past. So I, I, I do like that. And, you know, I, I think one of the big concerns that a lot of people, just in general, in the United States and Canada, would have for a question of bear is, what are you going to do with Roundup? Well, I don't know what's going to happen with Roundup long term. I just know this. Roundup is one of the safest herbicides ever invented. And if Roundup goes off the market... In my opinion, every pesticide's got to go off the market because Roundup's about as safe as you can get. So anyway, when you really study the science of what it is, how it works, what it does to things, um, you can very quickly see, um, boy, if that goes, everything's got to go. And by the way, most of the stuff we eat would then have to go as well because most of the things we eat, um, they're, if you look at the old saying, the dose makes the poison, well, it would take a lot of dose of Roundup to hurt anybody. It's the same thing with almost anything else. Look at the toxicity of, let's just take salt. Okay, what's the toxicity of salt? There's an LD50. There's a lethal dose that will kill you. And ask your doctor about salt. A lot of people are being advised, cut down your salt intake. It's killing you. So my whole point here is, yep, people are really questioning Bear and what they're going to do with Roundup. But 
I, I just don't see how they're going to lose that whole thing when the science is absolutely behind them, more so than even a lot of food products out there. Okay, so off that topic. Uh, yesterday, I spent some time with BSF. You know, they, they have Liberty now. It's a little different. They got that from Bayer when the whole Bayer-Monsanto deal went through. So I spent a lot of time talking to them about Liberty and also about the, the potential of HPPD-tolerant HPPD products getting labeled for traits like the LLGT27 that's out there. So anyway, I think that's interesting. And one of the things with Liberty, too, is you may not have known this. Liberty, there are no resistant weeds anywhere in the world yet to Liberty. So that's pretty good. And like, for example, when I talked to Corteva, they talked a lot about, obviously, the Enlist trait and just getting... The new 2,4-D, and by the way, the new 2,4-D is amazing. And list one, if you haven't used that, if you haven't used Freelex, I mean, these products, it's like night and day difference versus old 2,4-D in terms of volatility and drift. We've used them for several years now. So we really do like those things. There have been many advancements in crop protection products. Uh, I've also spent a fair amount of time talking to many of the generic companies, and obviously they're concerned about tariffs dealing with China because a lot of the generic things do come out of China. But there are other countries that are starting to starting to supply us here in North America with some of these crop protection products, including India, Vietnam, and others. So you're seeing a manufacturing shift. So I hope that we get things worked out with China. I really do. But if we don't, you're going to see a lot of that manufacturing switch to some of these other countries, and it will continue. But in the meantime, there will most likely be a price increase. Now, long term, things will probably come back down. But that is one of the questions going into next year, and a lot of people are concerned about that. So when I talk to all these different generic companies, they just told me they think most things are going to be flat to up a little bit going into next year, especially with tariffs potentially on the line. The one thing that they said was glufosinate, that, so that's basically name brand Liberty or glufosinate's uh, the active ingredient. They thought that many companies told me they thought glufosinate was going to be coming down, so I thought that was pretty good news. Uh, and, oh, we had my brother Darren on, and now we just lost him. So anyway, uh, I, I guess the, the other thing that I'll, I'll throw out here is when I have been out looking at all this crop all around – uh, the United States anyway, there, there's just a lot of up and down stuff. And so when you look at the crop and you go, boy, it looks great in my area or boy, it looks bad in my area. Let's not forget there are uh, roughly, let's call it 80 to 84 million corn acres this year in the United States, you know, probably 75, 80 million acres of beans, something like that. I mean, they're both way down, 5, 10 million acres down, something like that. But <laughs> the United States is a big country. Canada is a big country. So I'd encourage you, if you want to do some crop scouting, um, I'd love to have you travel around a little bit, give us your opinion on things, because right now we believe the government reports are way, way, way off. Uh, but my opinion is the crop doesn't look real great, but there is a percentage of the crop that looks amazing. And my encouragement to you is take your best acres and make them great. Prices are going to be really good. You've got a lot of opportunity going into this fall. Well, stay tuned. We're going to talk about resistant weeds here on Ag PhD Radio. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grace on Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. 
Used early in the season, Grazon Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit leavetheweedstoss.com to learn more about Grazon Next. Always read and follow label directions. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your corn everything it needs to get the job done this season. At Side Dress, adding agro liquid nutrients to your nitrogen can economically and efficiently boost potential. It's not too late to supply the nitrogen, potassium, sulfur, and boron your corn needs to reach top yields. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your corn. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. That's like explaining a missed forecast to a weatherman. Now, Mother Nature stresses soybeans the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Preaxor fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your beans can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Preaxor fungicide and BASF plant health. Always read and follow label directions. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy Two Save Three are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag BHD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about managing resistant weeds in your crops. First on today, we've got Drake Copeland. He is with FMC out in Ohio. Drake, how are you today? I'm doing well. We've we've been uh, plenty wet this year, but we we're kind of needing some rain, uh, believe it or not. And uh, we got that last night and this morning, so I think a lot of people are pleased. Oh, good. Yeah, I I honestly can't say that we've had a single day yet in 2019, or probably in 2018 either, where I said, "Oh, we need a rain now." It just keeps raining all the time, and we're we're in one of the drier areas of the United States. So, Drake, today we're talking about resistant weeds a little bit, and like in your state of Ohio, the first weed I think of out there is mare's tail for for weed resistance. But give me two or three other weeds that you're commonly talking to farmers and agronomists about out there in Ohio when it comes to resistance. Yeah, in Ohio, I mean, like you mentioned, we've got mare's tail. We also have some issues with the ragweed species, specifically giant ragweed. And then um, you can't talk about resistance without bringing up the amaranthus pigweed. So we've got water hemp on the western and northwestern side of the state. And we've got a lot of fields that are sharp, starting to see some palmer amaranth. And there's various ways of how that's getting here, but that's another one that's, uh, I guess, holding attention for a lot of growers. All right. So let's start by talking about the pre-emerge side. Then I want to get to the post end of things. But on the pre-emerge side, FMC, I, I almost find it a little bit confusing because you have so many different brands of authority. There's authority assist, authority first, authority elite. What's the most popular one of those authority brands out in Ohio and why? Yeah, and you're making really good points. And the reason for that is, you know, our authority brands are based on that sulfitrazone, 
PPL inhibitor for that residual control um, for various weed species. But the tank mix partners, I mean, it just depends on the weed you have, right? So um, if, you, for say, you've got ALS-resistant weeds and you want to control them pre-emerge, you would use an authority supreme option, which is a new herbicide that we've launched last year, but it's picked up a lot of traction this year. And what that is is sulfentrazone and proxy sulfone. Um, so what we get there is a group 50, uh, 15 control. You know, you get your grasses and small seeded broadleaves, which would, you know, get your water hemp and palmer amaranth, and then your PPO inhibitor, which is kind of helping out on those other problematic weed species. Yeah, so it really just depends on your field history and what you have. Yeah, and the other one I talk to people about all the time is the Authority MTZ for the weeds that are ALS and Roundup resistant because the MTZ gets you the metribuzin plus the PPO. And then when we look on the post side, a lot of times I'll, I have guys just waiting on that group 15 until they get early post. So you mentioned the, the uh, peroxisulfone group 15, you can do that post too with one of your Anthem products. So how does Anthem fit in your geography? Basically, that's uh, the same active ingredients as you'd find in Zidua and Cadet. So how does that fit over there in Ohio? Yeah, what we're doing with Anthem Max is really the, the benefit of it is it's real flexible. So we can spray it in corn and soybeans and then across all soybean herbicide trait platforms. So that whether it be Extend, Soybeans, Liberty Lance, or Roundup Ready, it's a tank mix partner. Like you mentioned, there's a little bit of Cadet in there that's going to help um, with post-emergence activity. And then on top of that, you're getting that proxy cell phone residual control in the soil profile. So... Therefore, we're controlling those weeds before they germinate, which is the ultimate goal when we're over uh, relying on that group 15 herbicide. All right, now I got the toughest question of the day for you. There are a lot of farmers we're getting questions from right now who say, I've got weeds out there that are two feet tall. My beans are flowering. Now what do I do? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't have any good answer. But there's a lot of that problem this year because there was so much where guys couldn't get in. It was too wet. Maybe they tried to call a plane, but the weather was against them, whatever. So you got any suggestions for a guy there? Yeah, so that is the story of the week, and that's a really good question. So what has happened is, you know, prior to planting, we didn't get hardly any herbicide applications to control those weeds. So yep. basically the, the grower's number one priority, right, was to get the seed in the ground. So tillage was probably the main, I guess, weed control tactic before planting. And now we're seeing those that survived tillage along with the ones that are emerging after planting. And you're right, the days are getting shorter, soybeans are starting to flower, and now we've caught some issues. And it, the problem really becomes is the growers do detect when they need an application, but if they're relying on a commercial applicator to make that application, well, guess what? They're behind too. So it may be a week before they get in your field. Um, and with that being said, you know, we're kind of between a rock and a hard place because a lot of our labels, um, specifically with herbicides that are effective, um, are ones that cut off. And with flour and soybeans, I mean, if we're going to stick with the label, that's kind of where we got to be. Um, I think one thing to mention is, I mean, it's not feasible for every field scenario, but if we've got weed messes out in the field this late in the year, um, Mark Lauchs at Ohio State's done a good job. He, he sent out uh, bumper stickers, and basically what they say is, go rogue on pigweed. So we're trying to prevent seed production for next year. 
And if we can go out and pull weeds, if it's if it's feasible for your your farm, that's probably one of the main things that we can do. Um, other than that, to stay on label with all the herbicides, it's really the only option. Yep, I know it's about impossible. Well, hey Drake, thanks a lot for your time today. Really appreciate it, and best of luck to you out there. Yep, thanks. Have a good one. All right, next we've got Eric Prosco on. He's our friend from down in Georgia, Extension Weed Specialist for University of Georgia. Eric, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. Good to visit with you uh, again. All right, so what's new down in Georgia? What's the talk right now with resistant weeds? Well, it, it, it has been and will continue to be Palmer amaranth, Palmer amaranth, Palmer amaranth. Right? That's our number one resistant weed problem in our row crops. Uh, you know, we're probably dancing on the edge of PPO resistance. Uh, we haven't really officially confirmed that yet, but we use so many PPO herbicides, it's it's inevitable most in in reality. Um, we recently discovered um, a population of yellow nutsedge that was resistant to uh, uh, ALS herbicides. We're working on that a little bit more to confirm that. But 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 Palmer amaranth is our driver weed, no question about it. All right, so what's your best suggestion for, let's say, a soybean farmer in Georgia if he comes to you and says, all right, it's pre-emerged, haven't planted the beans yet or anything, and I've got Palmer that's going to be out there. What do you suggest he does? All right, so uh, for me, I'm, I'm uh, long of tooth and gray of hair, and I, I grew up in the era of Metribuzin, so I'm a huge Metribuzin fan for soybeans in Georgia because it helps protect the PPO herbicides. We can use other products, like we use a lot of Valor in Georgia on other crops. We can use it on soybeans. It's a great herbicide. But if I have the soil, the right soil conditions and a variety that will tolerate Metribuzin, I, I typically will recommend Metribuzin because it's cheap and then we're, when we're breaking the cycle up of PPO herbicides. And then depending on the technology, we're going to come in with whatever we, whatever we need after that, whether it's if it's con, um, just a Roundup ready, it might be a Roundup and Reflex. Of course, if it's uh, a dicamba bean, then we're going to come in with some dicamba combination. But because we're a small soybean state, um, we don't have a lot of enlist We don't have any enlist varieties for our area because we grow mostly uh, group maturity fives and later in most cases. All right. What's the worst crop that Palmer is affecting other than soybeans in your state? Uh, well, we, we see it in uh, cotton and peanuts for sure, um, but we do have some good programs uh, lined up for growers. Um, but we, our biggest challenge is timeliness. As guys, have, as growers have gotten bigger, you know, it's easy for me to sit in my truck right now and say, hey, you need to spray when weeds are three inches tall. But in reality, and you know, you know, as a farmer, you got good intentions, but it rains, or you get a breakdown, or what? Something else happens. But but timeliness is probably our biggest uh, issue: is getting back into those fields when uh, the weeds are small. And I heard your previous talker: if we can wait in Georgia, if we wait a couple of days, the pigweed is already grown two to three inches. Yep, I know that's one of the biggest frustrations with Palmer, and there are a few other weeds too that boy they can really grow. And you look at all the heat and moisture you have down there; yeah, it's challenging. Well, again, we've been talking yeah. to Eric Prosco. He is with University of Georgia. Eric, thanks a lot for the time today. Really appreciate it. Hope to talk to you again soon. All right, thank you very much. Have a great day. You bet. Thank you. We're going to continue talking about resistant weeds here on the show. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. What if you could protect your soybean plants and reduce yield loss from white mold? Cobra Herbicide can help you jumpstart the natural defenses in your soybean crop against the heavy yield loss white mold can cause. 
This season's wet weather, cool temperatures, high humidity, and moist soil are prime conditions for white mold. And Cobra is a cost-effective way for you to help protect your soybeans. Apply now to jumpstart your fight against white mold with Cobra herbicide. Visit your local retailer today to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough to control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus, LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common-sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio, talking resistant weeds here on the show today. Next, we've got Travis Gustafson on with us. He is down in the state of Nebraska. He's with Syngenta. Travis, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Excellent. All right, so what's popping up new and different down in Nebraska right now? Anything in terms of resistant weeds that you haven't seen before or haven't seen as much of? Well, I mean, uh, Palmer is always a big issue. Um, we've had some, um, you know, HPPD-resistant Palmer for a few years in pockets, and it just seems like those pockets are getting larger and larger every year. So um, that's that's been concerning. Um, the other thing is I think we're kind of teetering on the edge of maybe some dicamba-resistant Palmer and, and water hemp in the state too. So, um, you know, overall, when you get, those two active ingredients that 
that don't aren't really effective anymore, it becomes a real problem for weed management in any of the corn or soybeans, really. You know, here's one of the things I've talked to some people about lately, because they'll say, well, I got a two-mode-of-action herbicide. And I go, yep, you do. But one of those is HPPD. And if you're in Nebraska, I do know of water hemp and palmer that is HPPD-resistant. And I'm not saying all of it is or anything like that. But let's just say that yours is. Okay, if your HPPD doesn't work, well, your two-mode-of-action product, now it's down to one. And when you only have one effective mode of action, that's not enough in this day and age. You're going to have to throw something else with it. Don't you agree? Absolutely. Um, you know, dicamba is becoming a very popular tank mix. But, yep. um, but we, you know, when you, like you said, when you lose one mode of action and then you throw in another one to replace it, you're still looking at only one mode of action that might still be effective. So yep. we're trying to transition a lot more into really uh, robust pre-emerge or residual programs because it's a lot easier to kill that that seed rather than a, a grown four inch tall plant that might have a dozen growing points on it. My favorite so one when I talk, yeah, my, when I talk to guys about stuff. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but I, 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 it just it cracks me up every time because guys will go, "Well, it's worked for me before." <laughs> Like it may have worked for you before, but I'm just trying to help you so you don't have a million weeds out there. Because if Palmer, if just a few plants go to seed, or water hemp, a few plants go to seed, you could have tens of millions of those out there in one year. So you got to make sure you're kind of staying ahead of that. Exactly, and and um, you know, like I was like I was saying, if we if we try to kill that four inch tall, or or you know, heaven forbid, it gets up to twelve inches before you you tr- can get out there. Um, you put a full rate of your post-emerge product on, and it's basically a half rate because you've got more biomass out there. So yep. um, we've got a lot more active ingredients that are effective from a residual uh, standpoint in soil. Even HPPDs are effective against HPPD-resistant water hemp if it's done in the soil. So um, you know they, they don't have the machinery to metabolize the HPPDs if they're if they're seed in the ground. So we can still apply those pre-emerge and be effective. Yeah. So we're, we're, um, we have to, we have to transition to these pre-emerge herbicides or the, the residual herbicides in order to effectively control these weeds. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And when we get into a year like this year where everything gets delayed, all of a sudden the weed is eight inches tall instead of when you want to kill it when it's two or three inches tall. And that's where we get into trouble. I was just talking to an agronomist today and he goes, well, all these weeds are big now. And and they didn't have them a while ago. And I'm like, really? Did they not have them a while ago? They should have sprayed two or three weeks ago. Those weeds were probably a half inch tall. And if they would have gone out there with something that had some residual, we would have been in much better shape today. And he's like, well, yeah, you're, you're probably right on that. But I I, 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 I agree with you. I, I think, you know, when, when there is dicamba, there's the 2,4-D you can spray. I mean, there are a lot of these new traits that have come out and it almost makes us start thinking, well, I don't have to have as much residual out there. I think residual is more important than ever. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I hate to to sit here and, and, and see guys that are re- relying on their post-emerge applications for their weed control program. We, we've been through this. We know what it does with glyphosate. And now, you know, basically glyphosate, um, especially against our pro- our problem weed, glyphosate, it's really just a grass herbicide anymore. So, um, so you, we don't want to get to that position where we're relying on post-emerge product alone 
for our weed control or even our cleanup jobs in our fields because we're going to run into problems with that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And one of the things I think your company has done pretty well is having multiple modes of action all together in some of these premixes. So I absolutely think that's something people have to look at. Hey, Travis, we got to run, but I just want to thank you a lot for your time. Thanks for calling in today. Really appreciate it. And good luck to you down there. Thank you. Thank you very much. You bet. All right, next we've got Darren Unlandon. He is down in North Carolina with BASF. Darren, how are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you doing, Brian? Excellent. All right, so we've talked about a lot of resistant weeds today, everything from palmer and ragweed to mare's tail. Uh, what's kind of top of mind for you? What What's the weed you've gotten the most questions about this year? Well, so for me, I've got uh, responsibility for liberty, so across the country. And, and so for us, you know, the, the key weeds are are naturally Palmer uh, amaranth in the south and moving up into the Midwest, but also water hemp uh, widely spread across the Midwest. And, and then also, of course, mare's tail, and you already touched on uh, giant ragweed and some of the others. So, um, you know, but then, then as we get further west, you know, some of the key weeds are, of course, kochia. So it really depends on, on what area you're in and, and what you have on your farm that, uh, of course, top of mind. And then it gets down to really what it, what's working on that specific weed or on that field. Hey, let me throw this out at you real quick, because I was just talking to some of your people, as a matter of fact, yesterday, and I said, all right, so on these Enlist E3 beans, we've got a bunch of them this year on our own farm, and I'd never been able to spray 2,4-D together with Liberty before because I didn't have the tolerance in the crop. And I said, now what I'm doing is I'm experimenting with all these different rates of, of 2,4-D and Liberty and, and having combination stuff. And they go, well, just keep in mind, there are many weeds resistant to 2,4-D. There are no weeds resistant to Liberty. So they said, if you start going full rate 2,4-D and cut rate Liberty, what are you going to do to the Liberty tolerance? And I go, ooh, I hadn't even actually thought about that. So their suggestion was run full rate Liberty. Now I realize when you're BSF and you own Liberty that, uh, you know, it feels a little like, uh, uh, you know, a little selfish there, but I, I, I understand the, the logic with that. We got to keep the Liberty rate up. So at least we don't lose the Liberty. So can you talk to us a little bit about these different tank mixes that maybe a guy could potentially run with, whether it's uh, Liberty and 2,4-D or in the future on ExtendFlex, Liberty and Dicamba. How do you feel about the rates in there? Yeah, so I think that uh, a good point to consider there is what is the mode of action. And, and, you know, for Liberty, it's essentially a contact herbicide. And so we do need to get uh, thorough coverage and we need to have a, enough of a rate out there that it adequately controls those weeds. Um, at the same time, um, we wouldn't want to be cutting the rate of the systemic product like a 2,4-D or a dicamba in the future um, so such that they would uh, become ineffective. You know, the concern about cutting rates on, on either of the tank mix partners is, is we are then also uh, promoting resistance. So uh, our recommendation is, is not to cut either rate, but to keep both of them up there. All right. In terms of having something else out there, you, you talk about residual. You said, all right, Liberty doesn't have any residual. Yep, it doesn't. So if, let's say, I'm a farmer, well, I am a farmer and I am spraying Liberty, what do you usually suggest throwing along with Liberty? Let's say I'm out there early post in soybeans, for example. Uh, what should a guy do? 
Well, the first thing we're going to recommend is a, a good pre, and, and I heard uh, I think two or three of your previous uh, guests also recommend a pre, and, and that's a key point that, I, that, that we are, are promoting, and that is because, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to manage one growing point than it is several growing points once that weeds up. So assuming we've started with a, a pre-emergent um, program, then when we come back with, with Liberty or Ingenia, um, or other post products, we would be recommending layering in another residual, partly to uh, uh, layer on um, from what that pre, you know that early pre is uh, wearing out, but also to help uh, extend that control until we get canopy. So in in soybeans, we would be recommending Outlook be applied with Liberty. Yeah, and you talk about that pre, I think that's incredibly important. And one of the things that a lot of people forget, and I know nobody's even mentioned it yet today, is the yellows. So like for you guys, you have Prowl, for example. I think that's that's something really good that just doesn't get talked about enough on the pre side. Hey, Darren, uh, thanks a lot for your time today. Again, we've been talking to Darren Unland with uh, BSF. Uh, thank you, Darren. You bet. Have a great day. Yep, you too. All right, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at mortonbuildings.com. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your bean crop everything it needs to get the job done this season. Adding Agro Liquid Fertilizer to post-emerge spraying passes provides your soybeans with the nutrients needed when the plant reaches the reproductive stage. Foliar feeding soybeans can provide the end-season edge you need to economically and efficiently boost yield potential. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your soybeans. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. We started utilizing the dual react system this year. You can adjust your speed and it automatically adjusts your sprayer tips so you can slow down and you aren't building up huge droplets or you can speed up and you're not throwing a mist that's drifting. Hypro, helping you spray better. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? The Soil Warrior can reduce trips across the field, optimize nutrient placement, and improve soil health. So you can lower production costs without losing yield. See what makes the Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant. Nutex EDA is a micronutrient-based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agri-specialist with Grain PhD. 
Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty live in the Morton studio. We've been talking about resistant weeds all day today, and one of the best questions I've gotten here just in the last few days as I've been talking to a lot of these big crop protection companies is they just said, what weed scares you? So in other words, what do you think is going to just get away from everybody, can't control it, going to cause major problems out there? And I said, nothing scares me. I'm not worried about water hemp. I'm not worried about palmer. I'm not worried about ragweed. I'm not worried about kochia. I'm not worried about any of them. I can sleep perfectly well every night knowing that on my farm, things are going to be just fine because we have lots of options. Now, that's not to say that it isn't going to be some hard work. Uh, I, I, I was talking, I don't remember who I was talking to just in the last couple of days. And I, I, and we were talking about Palmer and they're like, oh, you can't do a good job on Palmer. And I go, what are you talking about? I've got six effective modes, modes of action I can use on my farm right now. And I'll use three pre and I'll use three different ones post. I got six modes of action. Now, if I get six effective modes of action out there, there's no chance that that Palmer's getting away from me. Darren, how do you feel about that? Well, the weather's got to be in your favor. That's the that's the big deal. Like for example, this year, there are guys that got fields planted, and it was just too wet to do anything else. They probably should have started with first pass by spraying rather than planting. But you just can't make mistakes like that. And even so, after the planter went through, they haven't been able to get back in those fields. Oh, and when you've got that situation, if you can't do it timely. Then, then it is a big concern, but it's a concern with every weed if you don't get in there timely and they're a foot tall. Most weeds, when they're a foot tall, you're just not going to get 100% control. Right, but I, I, I mean, there's no reason why that couldn't have gotten done in the first place. So if you just decide, look, I'm not planting until my pre is on, then you don't plant until the pre is on. It's not that difficult. And in terms of, oh, I can't get back in there to spray, you can if you call the plane or you call the helicopter and have them come out. But just like most farmers, I am super reluctant to spend what I feel is like more money by having somebody else do it when we can do it ourselves. We already have the sprayer. We have the people. We have the time, usually. But yes, I know. And and so I, I agree with you. If you've got these weeds that you're super concerned about, I think you just have to be ready to go with plan B. And most people are just so stuck on, hey, it's plan A. I'm spraying no matter what. No, have plan B ready to go. In fact, even talk in the wintertime to the aerial applicator and say, look, if I can't spray timely, I'm going to call you. Here's what I want to use. How do you feel about this? Are you going to have time? All these things and start lining it up way ahead of time, even though you don't know that you're going to need it. But, you know, I think that's one of the things that we're guilty of, and most people are. We don't plan enough ahead for plan B. No, and you may have to, you know, just talk with, say say you think, okay, I may need an aerial applicator. Great. What do you need him for right now? You already need him. You already need him for the tasseling time application on your corn, or you already need him for something. Use him a little bit. And get used to it. Develop that relationship. And then when you call him, he knows who you are. He knows where you're at. And, uh, you know, that kind of thing is all good. All right. Let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. 
It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, I just got this question in from Michael. He says, good rainy afternoon from East Central Iowa. As I'm studying my soil test from this spring, it's 0 to 12 inch, by the way, and the correlating tissue samples, I'm seeing which nutrients and that's most of them, uh, my farm is deficient in, and that my fertilizer build program is moving along very slowly. Now, I've heard of a local farmer who dumped 800 pounds of potash out there and 400 pounds of map in one shot to jumpstart the fertility in a new piece of ground. Apparently, those application amounts are okay. What about the micronutrients? How much is too much in one year or one application? And then he continues on saying, I know my bank account will be my limiting factor, but what if I won the lottery? Thanks as always, and I really appreciate your show. Uh, So, Michael, here's the whole thing. You know, if I'm 25 years old and I don't have any money, then I'm looking at this whole different than right now I'm 50 years old and we've been farming for a long time. And I've also tried a lot of things. We farm 3,000 acres. So let's just say that I pick up a new 40-acre field. Uh, This year, let's see, we got one new field and it was 72 acres. Okay, so I got 72 acres. If I do a whole bunch, I spend a whole bunch of money on 72 acres out of 3,000, is that going to break me? No. Am I that worried about it? No, because I've done this so many times. So what I will typically do when I get new ground, year one is about dirt work. We're going to get all the dirt work straightened around because there are usually problems there. Year two is about tiling. Year three is about, hey, I'm going to do an amazing job soil testing. We're testing on one acre grids and we are going to load it up to the gills. So we are going to get it to the levels that I want. Now, I, you know, I don't know where you're getting your fertilizer recommendations or anything else, but again, we've done all this experimenting for the last 25 years. So I know where I want the soils. So I bought this 72 acres and I just said, this is what we're spending the money on and this is how we're going to do it. And it's my dollar. It's my land. I can do what I want. So we're going to go right from 2% all the way up to 7% base saturation K in one shot. And that means probably more than 800 pounds of potash in one application. Next, uh, we're going to take a look at, you know, phosphorus. We're going to look at all the micronutrients, everything. Now, as I say this, let me just first of all say this is heavy soil and it's cold. So if I had irrigation and I had very sandy soil, I may look at this thing a whole different I'm not worried about losing most nutrients, even boron. Boron can be pretty leachable in sandy soil, not in our super heavy, cold soil. We're frozen. That ground's frozen at least half the year. So the stuff isn't going anywhere. So you have to farm differently depending on your area, your soil, everything else. But that's absolutely what I will do. I've got my numbers, what I'm trying to hit on every single nutrient, and we're going to do that all in one shot. Now, Darren, how do you feel about that? Because that's what I'll do for my ground that I own. How do you feel about it if you buy a new piece of land? By the way, Darren did just buy, uh, let's see, what, 75 acres. He bought 75 acres this year. What are you going to do there? Well, I feel the same way, Brian. Now, here's the deal, though. Back to the question. If you've never done that before, start out on a small scale. Maybe you say, okay, uh, 20 acres is doable for me. Great. Do a 20-acre field or do a 40-acre field and start with that. Start relatively small and work your way up. The numbers have been established since the 1940s of where you need to be if you're paying attention. And if not, you can catch it on our show or just look up any of our content. You can see exactly what we're trying to build up to. You mentioned base saturation, K hour watching that. But we put out all our numbers on everything that we're doing with micros and the whole works. Build up to those levels on a small amount. See how your soil responds over the next couple of years and then go for it elsewhere. And I agree with you. Dirt work's got to come first. Tiling's got to come second. 
then fertility can work. Yep. If you don't have good drainage, you're wasting your money. All right. Next question here is from Thomas. He says, hi, guys. Love your show. I am a young farmer. I only farm a few acres, but I help my dad with a bunch of acres. I've been trying to talk my dad into doing more strip till. We've only been doing just a little bit of no till, otherwise we're conventional till. Uh, can you talk a little about the pros and cons of strip till in heavier soils? Uh, okay, so first of all, with heavy soils and strip till, I, I guess we we deal with a lot of heavy soils and we do some strip till. The thing that I like about the things that I like about strip till are number one, I can put the fertilizer down at eight to ten inches deep. I love that. I love that I get it done in the fall, so I'm all ready to go in the spring. I don't have to do any more tillage in the spring. And I love the fact that most of the ground is no till, but in the strip, it's going to be much warmer than all the no till in between the row. So my erosion is reduced. Now my erosion isn't going to be as good as no true no till, but I have a lot of advantages there. Now the biggest disadvantage is it takes time. It just takes time. And it is going to cost some money to get a strip till machine. So you got to kind of weigh those out. But we do strip till on roughly half our ground. Now, his next question here is, I've always been told that you have to till in manure for it to work. Well, we have cattle and hogs and we have a lot of dry manure. Is it possible to spread this dry manure in strip till effectively? And my answer to you is no, it is not. I want that tilled in the ground because what's going to happen is your manure has a bunch of phosphorus. And in heavy soils, especially like in Minnesota where you're talking about, I, I, doubt, I doubt you're too far away from where we farm. Your soil is probably fairly similar. You get a little more rain, but still. The point is this, the number one water quality issue we have in the United States today, really North America today, is phosphorus. Phosphorus only gets in the water from erosion, so we want that phosphorus down in the ground. If you put manure on top of the soil, the phosphorus doesn't move in with rain, so it's going to sit there, and when you get any soil erosion at all, now we've got a problem. So the other half of our ground that we aren't uh, strip tilling, we're tilling in because we're using some manure there. Well, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more of your questions in the Ag PhD Mailbag. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus, LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. 
What if you could protect your soybean plants and reduce yield loss from white mold? Cobra herbicide can help you jumpstart the natural defenses in your soybean crop against the heavy yield loss white mold can cause. This season's wet weather, cool temperatures, high humidity, and moist soil are prime conditions for white mold. And Cobra is a cost-effective way for you to help protect your soybeans. Apply now to jumpstart your fight against white mold with Cobra herbicide. Visit your local retailer today to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco Vilify and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco Vilify and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today, or at least I'm live uh, in the Morton studio today. Darren is also live, but he's out on the road today. Uh, we're going to get to the phone lines here. We've got Jim calling in from Ohio. Hey, Jim, how are you? Uh, doing pretty good. Stay inside, air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, a little uh, little hot and humid out in most areas. I hear you yeah. got some questions on applying fungicide on corn. What can we do for you? Yeah, uh, uh, my corn is just starting to sill a couple days ago, okay. and I see it, there's a lot of Japanese beetle wanting to chew on the silks. Yep. And I wonder if it's too early to put fungicide on with uh, insecticide? No, it is not too early. Uh, we've been doing that on our farm pre-tassel even here for the last week and a half now. I was just out, I spent some time in Indiana, so real close to Ohio there, and I was shocked at how many Japanese beetles uh, kept hitting me, even when I was just in town. So <laughs> there are a lot of Japanese beetles out, unfortunately, yeah, this year. year. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on or what happened with the year or whatever, but it was the same kind of deal in our cornfields, not with Japanese beetles, but with some other bugs out there. And I go, man, isn't it a little early for some of these bugs? But uh, we were throwing insecticide in with our fungicide, too, because the big thing I bring up to guys is I just say, look, if you're out there spraying fungicide anyway, the insecticide's dirt cheap. You don't have any additional cost. So at least look at your fields. If you feel you've got enough harmful bugs out there to justify it, throw the insecticide in. Absolutely. The one thing I would throw out at you, though, is you can go with a cheap pyrethroid for like two bucks to kill Japanese beetles. What we did is we we went to Bifenthrin or Brigade, which costs about four bucks roughly. And the reason we did that is because Brigade has some activity, pretty good activity on spider mites throughout the Midwest. Now, for our people listening in, uh, let's say, Texas or California or maybe even Idaho, they're having resistance with bifenthrin and spider mites there. But I just worried about spider mites here, and I thought, well, for me, it's worth it. So if you're worried about spider mites or a flare-up of spider mites, I'd go to Brigade. Otherwise, I'd just go with a cheap pyrethroid. So, and no surfactant, correct? If you are... Uh, not at full tassel, 
then you've got to skip the surfactant. Once you're at full tassel and beyond, then surfactant once again is safe. So yeah, what we're doing in our farm is no surfactant, and that would be my advice to you until you get to full ta- full tassel. Yeah, I think you just got to watch. You want to be you want to be pollinated too, Brian, if at all possible. If once that pollination process sure. is done, then then you're taking no risk. So Good point. I, I Good do point. agree with you, Jim. That I'd, I'd say let's let's get those silks brown before we start putting surfactant back in. Yeah, I usually do it when the silks are brown, but this year it's Japanese beetle out there, and I thought I'd hit two for one there. Yep. Yep. Absolutely, you're right on the money with that. Yeah, we've and part of the reason, Jim, why we started going a little earlier this year on our fungicide is we'd had some of these high-yield farmers from around the country telling us they were having good success doing that. So I just thought, you know, we've got some bugs there. I, I mean, we've had so much rain. I just think we're going to have disease and more disease than we normally do. So we did it a little bit earlier than normal. So it's all right on pre-tassel, too, then, because... I got corn that's uh, planted a little bit every week. Took me all of May to do it, but I got my corn planted. And earlier yep. stuff is tossing, and the other was kind of in between. And oh, oh, I hear you. We started April twenty sixth, and we finished in June. So that's <laughs> <laughs> the the planter ran for a lot of different days. That's just the way it went this year. All right, yeah, a couple uh, days a week. Yep. All right. Well, hey Jim, uh, good luck out there, and thanks a lot for the call. All righty, thank you. You Bye. bet. Let's get to our uh, next email that we've got here. Actually, uh, uh, we had Geronimo call in from Indiana, and he just left a message here. He just wanted to know how much damage is being done to three-foot-tall corn when dicamba is sprayed over the top of it. Well, first of all, I certainly hope people aren't doing this on a regular basis because dicamba, what that is, it is a growth regulator product. It's basically synthetic auxin. So, What it does, if you think about it, it's trying to grow plants to death. So that's how it kills weeds. Well, corn isn't very tolerant uh, once it gets a little bit of size to it. So we like spraying straight dicamba very early in the corn, maybe up to V2, V3, something like that. That's it. But once it gets bigger, it doesn't have that tolerance, and we worry about uh, fused bracerets. We worry about, especially if the corn was three feet tall, that's right at the maximum uh, growth state. I mean, I, let's see, let me rephrase that. It's right at the point where corn really takes off. A lot of times it'll go from three feet tall to six feet tall in a week or two. And we've got a lot of heat. We've got a lot of moisture. So it's already growing super fast, and now you're going to speed that growth with dicamba? I don't like the sound of that. So to me, I would just say that your biggest risk there is lodging. And that corn plant twisting up, you can, you can absolutely hurt some yield. And you might not even notice it so much if you treated the whole field, but it's very possible you're hurting that yield 20 bushels or more. What do you think, Darren? I agree. We've already seen a little bit of green snap happening around the country. I just was looking at some pictures today uh, with a grower in Minnesota with already a little bit of green snap out there at some of this corn. It's growing so fast. Some of these fields are brittle. I definitely wouldn't add any more stress to the plants there. No, absolutely. All right, let's get to the next email here. It's from Slamet. He said he's in Indonesia, and U.S. soybeans are used to make a lot of the traditional food, some of the traditional food in Indonesia. And they're using, like, just in Jakarta City, like 5 million tons. Uh, so I don't know what the exact figure is. He's He probably knows a lot better than me. But 
Uh, he just said, you know, the U.S. soybean thing is very important and we're depending on U.S. soybeans. Well, you know what? We're going to try to do everything we can to produce lots of good quality soybeans. So hopefully we continue to help Indonesia. Uh, next one is from Robert and he asks, what are the alternatives farmers will use when glyphosate is banned by 2020 in Europe? Whether it's safe or not is irrelevant because in the end, the consumers make the final call. Well, look, you know, I don't care where you are, Europe, Canada, United States, if glyphosate gets banned, it is going to change some things. So since glyphosate came out, let's face it, we've used fewer herbicides. We have had a lot less erosion. More people were able to do no-till. We're going to see those things change. People are going to start using more herbicides, and they're going to go back to using more tillage. So that means we're going to have more erosion. We're going to have less soil organic matter. We're going to have less healthy soil long-term. So I don't and like it. And we're going to have higher food prices, yep. Brian. That's yep. the other thing. Consumers may think, well, uh, I don't know one way or the other on this thing, so let's just ban it then. But, I mean, just think about how crazy a statement like that is, and it's going to increase food prices. There's no question. Yep, I agree. I think it's ridiculous, but whatever. Uh, we we as farmers are happy to produce whatever food we can uh, based on whatever conditions we've got and whatever products we can use. All right, uh, next one is from Derek. He says he's got something going on in his soybeans. He sent me two different pictures because he's got two different things going on. The first one really looks like brown spots starting at the lower leaves. Oh, by the way, right in the picture is a picture of uh, water hemp. It was small when he sent the picture. That was probably a few hours ago. It's probably huge by now. As fast as water hemp grows. But anyway, looks like brown spot in the first one and brown spot in much of the United States anyway is resistant to a lot of the strobes. So make sure you're using a three mode of action product or if you're using a two mode of action product, it's got two that don't include a strobe and a strobe would be like headline quadra civito. Uh, the next picture that he sent, or the last picture he sent, looks like iron deficiency chlorosis. We're seeing an awful lot of that. The big thing is fix your drainage and then get your soil pH down. My assumption, if you do a soil test out there, well, that soil pH is above 7. Get the pH down, that problem will go away for good. All right, uh, we've got Mark calling in from Virginia. Wanted to get his call before we wrap things up here today. Mark, what can we do for you today? Yeah, you were just talking about, uh, you know, having... A growth accelerator. Yes. Uh, I was wondering, was that any uh, formulation of uh, Agent Orange 245T they used in Vietnam? Okay, great question, Mark. I would just say we were talking about Dicamba, and that was not in Agent Orange. Now, 24D and 245T is what made up Agent Orange. It was a 50-50 blend. But the problem with Agent Orange was two things. Number one, that 245T you talked about, that now has been banned, even though 245T was not that dangerous. The problem was the Agent Orange that got used in Vietnam, that 245T that went into it, got contaminated with dioxin. Now, I don't know the whole story, backstory, and how it got contaminated, but dioxin's terrible, terrible stuff. And then the next thing is that got used off-label. Agent Orange, 245T, and 24D were never labeled to spray right over the top of human beings, but it got sprayed all over in those jungles there in Vietnam to try to defoliate the jungle, and I understand that, but it was never labeled to spray over the top of human beings. So let's just make sure we understand Agent Orange is a whole separate thing that's been banned, but it, the reason why it hurt people is it contained dioxin, and it was sprayed over the top of people even though it shouldn't have been. Mark, thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. We got to run here. Uh, before we wrap things up today, I just wanted to invite you to the Ag PhD Field Day that's coming up next Thursday. Just go to agphd.com to learn more. 
I want to say thanks to our production staff, thanks to our guests, thanks to everybody who called or wrote in with questions, and thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio, and now stay tuned for Shark Farmer Radio.